We've chosen this morning prayerfully to make this a service where the entire service surrounds the Lord's table with no interruptions, with no uh, distractions, but just to focus on the Lamb of God and then go into the Word of God and to together celebrate what it is that the Lord wants us to celebrate at His table. You know, it's a very common practice in our country. Uh, Most of us grew up as young people very regularly in school having our teachers say stand and pledge allegiance to the flag and that has become a part of our whole culture and although there are some detractors who say that because of their cultural background they don't believe in doing that or some uh, various sects say that they don't want to do that it's pretty much a part of our fabric that we so much love and uh, are in support of our country that we will pledge our allegiance as people and our our soldiers, our brothers, our sisters, our children, our parents have gone and have even given their lives to protect the flag of our country because of all it stands for. But as Christians, that's a rare thing to talk about. It's a rare thing to even think about. In fact, for many, they've never thought about what pledging allegiance to the Lamb of God is all about. If you'd open in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, the 11th verse of the 12th chapter, I'd like to introduce us to the concept of at the Lord's table pledging our allegiance to the Lamb of God. I want to read to you the 11th verse of chapter 12, and then we'll go to the end of Revelation for a second verse. But 12:11 says this, and they. These are the martyrs of the tribulation. These are those who, who die for Jesus Christ in the midst of the most horrible hour, the most horrible, darkest time our planet will ever know. And it says, And they, these martyrs, overcame him, that's uh, the beast, the incarnation of Satan, the Antichrist, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what was their testimony? What does it mean to pledge allegiance to the Lamb? Well, that's the end of verse 11. They did not love their lives, even to death. Pledging allegiance to Jesus Christ is saying that I will not pursue my comfort, my security, my safety, my well-being, even to the point of losing my life in following you. Now, look how this ends up in chapter 22 of Revelation because what's amazing is this is the ending of the book. Chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible in the third verse tells about what heaven's going to be like and it's very interesting how connected together this concept of those who who follow the Lamb unswervingly, which is what all of us are, followers of the Lamb, what all of us should be unswervingly following him. But look at the third verse. It says, and there shall be no more curse, this is in heaven, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And here's what, a lot of people wonder what they're going to do in heaven. That, you know, I've heard, you know, oh, I'm not sure, you know, is it going to be boring up there? Well, of course not. But look at verse three, why? Because, look at the end phrase there, his servant shall serve him. 
You will never be what you are not right now becoming. You will never be a servant of God if you are not one right now. That's why a lot of people, um, they have the mistaken notion that because they have a memory of something they think they did in the past that they are going to heaven. Heaven is not for those who have some vague memory of some decision they made back there. It's whether or not right now you're serving God. Right now you're partaking of his righteousness. Right now you're living a transformed life. Right now you are partaking of endless life. See, salvation in the Bible was never something that was kind of vaguely attached to something that they couldn't quite remember exactly the details, but they think something happened. It was a present living reality. Yes, a reality of struggling with sin. Yes, a reality of not always being a more than conqueror and sometimes being defeated and sometimes being horribly, painfully aware of sinfulness, but a living reality. But look at the fourth verse. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. These are followers of the Lamb who have testified they loved him more than life, that they loved him with all that they had, all that they were. Well, we're going to look at exactly what this means, and I'm going to share with you a lesson that the early church used to celebrate at the Lord's table. You know, we're very aware of why we're here. We're here because we're remembering Christ's body and his blood, his righteousness, his death in our place, his sinlessness, how he became sin for us, and how the Passover portrayed the lamb, and he came as the fulfillment of the lamb. The why part, most believers that know the Bible, they have that down. But what are we doing this for? What does he expect from us? What does he want to hear from us? What does he want to see in our lives? What does he want to be the byproduct of of our coming to his table? We know why we're here, but what does he expect from us is often vague. Well, we've chosen this morning to use the words of this song, and I'm going to let you not sing it, don't worry, but uh, I want you to stand with me and... Like you're in school, put your hand like this, okay? So stand. We're going to pledge allegiance, okay? We're going to say these words. And uh, if, if you can do this to a flag, how much more can you do it to the Lamb of God? So, okay, remember how these say in school, put your hand over your right hand over your heart. And uh, since the Lamb's here, you don't have to face in any direction. You don't have to look at a flagpole. But let's just say these words. And we're going to say them more than once this morning. And I hope that the meaning of them will sink into our hearts. Okay? Let's pledge together. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. You may be seated. I'd like you to join me in just listening this morning. There'll be a few verses I'll refer to, but this morning the Lord God Almighty... The Ancient of Days, whose majestic and holiness has invited us to eat at his table. We have, most of us, eaten with him before. We usually know why he invites us, as we remember his death, his body, and his blood, his covenant, his triumph, and so much more. But this morning we need to consider what? What he expects from us, what he waits for, and what he wants to hear. In early way, the first century Christians described the Lord's Supper was by a Latin term, sacramentum. Long before religion obscured that word with various and confusing meanings, which we see prevalent in Christendom today, 
They took it in its original and purest form. Sacramentum was the military oath of a Roman soldier in Caesar's legion in the first century. They were the most powerful institution of the day. Spread across the ancient world, they were the personal representatives of the emperor. Bound together with a life-or-death allegiance, those soldiers were invincible. In Israel, an occupied country, and in all the New Testament cities, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and so on, the legionnaires were known and seen every day. So to our forebears, the Lord's table was a time where they renewed their supreme loyalty to their master, their lord, and their king. They, like us, wanted to be continually reminded that we have an absolute allegiance to the Lamb of God. And when the early Christians came to celebrate the Lord's table, they did it in its original meaning because it was to them much like the oath of loyalty taken by the soldiers who entered Caesar's legions. Let me share with you what those soldiers would say. A Roman soldier's oath was to solemnly swear to several personal commitments. This is what they said. To obey the commands of the general, to serve him to the best of my ability at all times, to always follow the written words of the council, the Roman imperial warfare guide, I swear that I will never leave the gathered regiment. I will never flee from any battle. And finally, that I will hold the emperor's well-being as more important to me and that he will be held dearer than myself or my children. That was what a soldier committed, his life, his blood, often to a drunken and debauched and depraved man who wore a crown, who was the figurehead of an empire. And they did die, and they did suffer, and they did conquer. To the centurion, the first soldier in each of the bands of soldiers, he would stand facing either the emperor himself or the general over his legion. He would aloud repeat that oath in front of that general with all of his soldiers standing behind him. And then each one would step forward and looking up at either the general or the emperor, they would say, the same for me. And one by one, they would face him and take their oath. To a Roman soldier, this pledge was a declaration of loyalty above which nothing could be far more reaching. From start to finish, this oath was a solemn promise of a complete and of an absolute and of an even sacrificial loyalty. Thus, the Lord's table is a time when we stand as God's people and with these pictures of Jesus in our hands and on our lips, we declare a pledge of absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. It would be safe to say that Jesus only expects the same, and I would say even more than Caesar. I'd like you to listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ expects of us. Now, if you'd turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and I'm going to do the Roman, the Roman legionnaires' pledge of allegiance to their Caesar in the words of Jesus Christ because he elevated every element of their pledge to a heavenly level. 
It says in Romans 8, 34 to 37, when the legionnaire pledged, I will obey the commands of my general, Jesus said this, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. A Roman legionnaire secondly said, I'll serve the emperor to the best of my ability. Jesus raises that level too. Now if you turn from the Gospel of Mark to Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, and I think many, if not most of us, know this verse by heart. Jesus said this through the Apostle Paul, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1, by the mercy of God, the mercy of God that prompted his saving grace and his offer of salvation on that basis, present your body a living sacrifice. Not merely your lifetime service to the emperor. I want all of you, all the time, livingly offered to me, Jesus said. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your sacrificial worship. So Jesus says, I want you to obey me. Deny yourself, Mark 8. I want you to serve me with all of your body. Jesus also continued, and if you go back to the Gospel of John, and we're going to go to about five different passages, don't get lost. The Gospel of John, just back a few books, chapter 8. A Roman soldier would say, I'm going to follow the written words of the council. That was the Roman imperial warfare guide. This is what Jesus says in John 8, 31. He says, don't follow just merely some human book. He says, follow... Words that come from God. And that's why the book you hold in your hand this morning is called God's Word. The Holy Scriptures breathed out by God. Jesus said this in John 8, 31. He said, if you abide in my word, if you abide, if you remain, if you are hung to, if you are clinging to, if you are fastened to, it's a very interesting word, meno, it means... It's the word used for Jesus being nailed to the cross. That's the word abide. Same Greek word as Jesus nailed to the cross. And he said, if you are hanging, nailed to, supported by, if you are remaining in my word, look at 831, you are my disciples indeed. Now, you know what's interesting? The word disciple came before Christian. We... We lightly in America say, oh, Christian nation. Do you know what Christian means? It means a disciple of Jesus Christ. The disciples were the truly redeemed, regenerated followers of Jesus Christ. Not merely 12, they led many more, and it became a much larger group than 12. But in Acts, they began after they multiplied to call the disciples Christians. But if you're a Christian, you must First be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is one who abides in the word of God. Not who has a momentary fleeting encounter with something they don't even know about or can hardly even remember in the past, but they have a present living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, a legionnaire also promised, and if you want to turn to John 10, verse 27, that he would never leave the gathered regiment or flee from any battle. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, I'm going to explain 
walking and following me. And he says this, My sheep hear my voice. There are a lot of people that claim to be Christ's sheep. If you don't hear his voice, if you don't follow him, then how can you claim he has given to eternal life, given to me eternal life? Because he said, my sheep, they hear my voice, they, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me. I didn't choose him. He chose me. God chose to give each of us who are saved to Jesus Christ. Now, in our human minds, we can't figure that out. And we say, wait a minute, I've got to have a part of this, and I've got to, you know, I don't want to be an, a robot. We're not. God is powerful enough to providentially cause all that to happen with us exercising our will. But the initiation and the purpose and the cause and all the means of it being accomplished is because the Father chose to give us as presents to Jesus if you're saved this morning, you're very special. We are very special to Christ because we came as a gift. And it says, my Father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch the gifts he gave to me out of, out of salvation. That's why it's so hard to believe that there are Christians that think that someone can grab them and they can lose it and they can, you know, not make it. They don't realize the process of God the Father gives us as a gift to Jesus. And he says, I never let go of you in the whole process. You don't slip away from me. You don't, you don't tumble out and I lose track of you. He says, I'm holding you. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. John later recorded these words, and you can just listen in his epistle. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You see, those who once seemingly were in Christ and then they, they depart, which are called apostates, they were never, the Bible says, they were never in Christ because someone who is in Christ never stops believing. Why? Because they didn't, they're not the agency. They're not the, the, the one who pumps up enough faith to believe in God. Faith is a gift and that faith is from God and it will never fail. And so he said this. He said, if they had been of us, 1 John 2, 19, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not of us. Yes, there are fakes. Yes, there are apostates. Yes, there are people who look at Christ and think about it for a while and then say, I don't want that, and they go away. But by that very act, they're demonstrating they're not part of him. Well, what does someone look like that pledges this allegiance following Christ we read in Revelation 12:11 that they overcome and they don't love their lives unto death. Well, this morning before we celebrate the Lord's table, I've invited a few great saints from the past who actually have done this to give their testimony. I want you just to settle back and listen. You don't have to turn anywhere anymore for a long time. Just focus all your energies not on holding on to your place, but on holding on to the truth of these men these faithful servants from history that have pledged their loyalty to Christ and followed him to the end. Listen as they testify. My name is Polycarp. You may know me as the pastor of the church in Revelation 2, the church of Smyrna. 
My pledge of allegiance to Christ took me through a lifetime of ministry and faithfulness at death. I found the Lamb to be worthy of my love even unto death. I was led to Christ by the Apostle John. He often spoke of loving Jesus more than his own life, and that was my goal also. It led me through 86 years of serving Christ in one final day of dying for him at the Roman stake. I was burned alive for the name of Jesus. Let me testify of that briefly. My whereabouts as the pastor of the church of Smyrna was betrayed by a slave who collapsed under torture. They came to arrest me, but not even the police captain wished for me to die. And on the brief journey to the city, he pled with me, Old man, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord? And to offer a sacrifice and be saved? But I was adamant that for me only Jesus Christ was Lord. When I entered the arena of Smyrna, the proconsul gave me the choice. He said, curse the name of Christ and make sacrifice to Caesar or death. I turned and faced him and loudly stated, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened me with burning. I replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched? For you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked. The judgment to come is everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. So the crowds came flocking, bringing from the workshops and the baths fire, and the Jews, even though they were breaking the Sabbath law by carrying burdens, were the first to bring wood to the fire. They were going to bind me to the stake. But I asked them to leave me as I was. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security that you will give by nails. So they left me loosely bound in the flames. And I, Polycarp, died for Christ. A second individual comes forth. He says, my name is Hugh Latimer. I was born in 1485, just seven years before Columbus bumped ashore. You're part of the world. My pledge of allegiance to Christ led me to a reverence of God in his sovereign majesty. This became a powerful motivation for me to serve him and to be fearless of any earthly physical consequences that service may bring. The power of human threats seems rather puny in comparison to the power of God's promises. When I was preaching one day in the presence of the notoriously powerful King Henry VIII, I said to myself, Latimer, Latimer, remember, the king is here. Be careful what you say. But then my heart quickly reminded me, Latimer, Latimer, remember the king of kings is here. Be careful what you do not say. I feared failing God more than I feared offending men. Because of my unwavering stand for Christ, at the age of 70 in 1555, I was sentenced to be burned at the stake. Just before they led me out to light the fire, I was given opportunity to write an open letter to all genuine believers in Jesus Christ. May I share it with you also this morning? Die once we must, how and where we know not. Here is not our home. Let us therefore accordingly consider things, having always before our eyes that heavenly Jerusalem. 
and the way thereto through persecution. Another great saint whose life led him to pledge allegiance was a missionary from England. Hello, my name is C.T. Studd. I was born in 1858 in an incredibly successful English family. My father had vast real estate and business interests all over the British colonial empire, and I was his sole heir. And when he died in the 1880s, I inherited a substantial amount of money, several hundred thousand dollars in my day, tens or even hundreds of millions in your day. My pledge of allegiance to Christ took me from the comforts of great wealth to the discomforts of missionary service and on to the glories of heaven. Jesus never failed me for a moment. On January 13, 1887, I sat down at my father's desk and wrote nine checks and thereby giving away my fortune as carefully as a businessman would invest in some gilt-edged securities. Yes, I chose safe and high-yielding securities, but all of them were in the bank of heaven. This was no fool's plunge on my part. It was my public testimony before God and man that I believe God's word to be the surest thing on earth. God promised me a hundredfold interest in this life, not to speak of the next. This became a reality for me, as it has for all those who believe God's word and act upon it. Later, on July 3rd, I wrote the following letter anonymously to General Booth, the founder of the great Salvation Army, explaining why my new bride and I had given everything to God. Let me read my letter to you. Henceforth, our bank is in heaven. You see, we are rather afraid, notwithstanding the great earthly safety of the Bank of England. We are, I say, rather afraid that they may both break on the judgment day. And this step has been taken not without most definite reference to God's word because our Lord Jesus commanded us saying, sell what you have and give and make for yourselves purses which wax not old. When we had given all of our money away, I packed up my new bride and we went to Africa as missionaries for the rest of our days. That is the gift of giving that God prompted in my heart and all those who with me love him more than life. My ambition and prayer had always been to die a soldier's death on the field of battle and not to drag on my fellow workers through months or years as an invalid. When I made it to Africa, I was a museum of diseases, for I had formerly served in China. And afterward, I was never free from my diseases. I had a lifelong battle with asthma, reoccurring malaria, constant dysentery, as well as the chills and pains of gallstones that were ever with me in varying combination. Yet God enabled me to go on working not eight hours a day, but 18 hours a day, daily addressing, often for hours at a time, thousands of his fellow creatures in the heart of Africa's darkest jungles. I told them of Jesus Christ and the wonders of his love, and I did this to the very end of my days. Only those who were with me in those last two years can realize my sufferings in 1930 and 31. I experienced dreadful weakness, nausea, heart attacks, but worst of all, those terrible attacks of breathlessness when my body violently shivered. I used to turn a dark hue 
my heart would almost stop beating. And the cause of all this was not discovered till, as I lay on my deathbed, a doctor from England diagnosed me as having inoperable gallstones. Yet the joy of those years far outweighed my suffering. For God gave me to see the two great desires of my heart. I saw unity among the missionaries, and I saw the manifest evidence that the Holy Spirit was working among the natives. Think about what came out of the gift of my life to Christ when I pledged allegiance to him. Through the fortune I gave away in 1887, Jesus Christ led Hudson Taylor to start the China Inland Missions expansion to every region of China. I gave money to George Mueller, so he expanded his orphanages into London. I gave the money so the Salvation Army made extensions into places they'd never been around the world. And I donated the money through which Dwight L. Moody started the Moody Bible Institute. In Africa, my life invested, though sick and weak, was thus. At my death, there were 30,000 born-again and baptized and discipled pygmies whom I found 21 years before as naked, murderous, grossly immoral cannibals who butchered each other in the darkest jungles of Africa. I now sing around the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white raiment, and worshiping Jesus with them. This is how the Spirit of God operates. Do you see yourself loving Jesus more than life? If so, be obedient because there's tremendous joy in following him. Another testifies. My name is William Borden, heir of vast wealth of the Borden family industries. My pledge of allegiance to Christ took me through a fatal disease at the prime of my life and ushered me into the glories of heaven to his well done, good and faithful servant. I was born in 1887 into a wealthy and very privileged family. I graduated from Yale University and I had the promise of a wonderful and quite lucrative career before me. But I felt God call me to serve as a missionary. And I left for the field even though my family and friends thought me a fool for going. In 1913, after a short time away, long before ever reaching my goal of the mission field I would serve on. While studying and preparing in Cairo, I contracted a fatal case of cerebral meningitis and died at the age of 25. I gave up everything to follow Jesus. I died possessing nothing in this world. But I, Borden of Yale, never regretted it. You can be sure of this because I left that note in my Bible as I lay dying in Egypt where I said no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. And like so many others, I found the service of Christ to be eminently reasonable in gaining me everlasting reward. Another steps forward. He says, my name you may well know. It's Jim Elliott. I was born in Oregon in 1927. I would be 71 this year if I were still with you on earth. My pledge of allegiance to Christ touched my heart with the reality that my life was best invested with the Lord. I used to often tell people, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, hold on to life and all your stuff and it gets burned up and wasted. Give it to me and it will last forever. It may not be a big choice, 
once you really think about it. Soon after graduating from college, I wrote in my diary, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Another year I wrote in my journal, I seek not a long life, but I seek, O God, if you take me in my youth, those whom I would have kept on earth till they were older, O Lord, then if you take me, you are peopling eternity, and I must not restrict you to only take old men and women. Well, God wanted to use me and my four comrades in a special way. We were called on January 8, 1956, to people eternity. We were slain by the people that we were seeking to reach. As the savage and godless Aukas charged our camp and filled these earthly bodies of ours with their spears and arrows, our spirits, clothed immortal, winged their flight to the very throne of God, where we were clothed with white robes, and we were allowed to face his presence, and we joined in the song of heaven. What has happened to the Aukas since then is proof that our blood is martyrs, is indeed the seed of the church. Many Aukas are now Christians. Jesus said, be faithful to death and I'll give you a crown of life. He said it, and he has. I am so thankful that I have this crown to cast at his feet and to tell him I didn't waste my life. He gave it to me, and I loved him more than my own self. And now my joy is inexpressibly full of glory. One more. My name is Stan Dale. I was a missionary to Irian Jaya, Indonesia. I ministered in the early 1960s to the Yali tribe in the Snow Mountains. The Yali had been the strictest known religious people in the world. For a tribe member to even question, much less disobey, one of the tenants brought instant death from the tribe. There could never be any change or modification in their religion. The Yali had sacred spots scattered throughout their territory. If even a small child were to crawl into one of these sacred pieces of ground, that child was considered defiled and cursed. And to keep the whole village from being involved, the child was thrown into the rushing Hulik River to drown and be washed downstream. When I came in the early part of the 1960s with my wife and four children to that cannibalistic people, I was not long tolerated. I was attacked one night and miraculously survived being shot through with five arrows. After treatment in the hospital, we immediately returned to the Yali people. We worked unsuccessfully for several more years. Their resentment and hatred increased. One day, as I and another missionary named Phil Masters and a Danny tribesman named Yimu were facing what we knew was an imminent attack, as we again went to evangelize the Yali people. Suddenly, we saw the tribe coming upon us. As everyone ran for safety, Yemu and I remained back and faced the tribe, hoping somehow to dissuade them from their murderous plans. As I confronted my attackers, they began to shoot me with dozens of arrows. As each arrow entered my flesh, I pulled them out, broke them in two, 
eventually I was no longer able nor had the strength to pull the arrows out. But by God's grace, I just remained standing. Off in the distance, Phil was standing and watching. Yemu ran and told him, flee for your life. But he had his eyes fixed on me, still standing. By then I had 50 arrows piercing my body. Phil remained where he was and soon was surrounded by warriors. The attack which had begun with hilarity soon turned to fear and desperation when they saw that, that we didn't fall. Their fear increased when it took as many arrows to down Phil as it had me. They dismembered our empty physical bodies and scattered them about the forest in an attempt to prevent the resurrection which we had spoken to them about. But the back of their unbreakable pagan system was broken. And through our witness that we were not afraid to die in order to bring the gospel to this lost and violent people, the Yali tribes and many others in the surrounding territory came to Jesus Christ. Even after my death, my fifth child, who was born on the mission field near the Yali tribe, who was a baby at the time of this incident, my son was saved as he read the book about my death. We were not rewarded in this life with the things of this life, but we've been doubly blessed with comfort, strength, and joy by the Lord who now comforts us. He has wiped away our tears. Our sacrifice for him was not in vain. Well, there they are, testimonies of allegiance to Christ, only a few of myriads that could be read. I wonder, when you come to the Lord's table, are you pledging allegiance to him today? Are you renewing your pledge at this Lord's table? Is this a time as we stand as God's people, as we hold pictures of Christ's body and blood, and as with our lips we sing of his sacrifice, are we declaring a pledge of absolute loyalty to him? Revelation 12:11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, which we celebrate this morning, by the word of their testimony, which we give this morning, because they did not love their lives unto death. It would be safe to say that this morning at this table, Jesus expects more than Caesar. Jesus says, I want you to obey the commands of Christ as your general. Come after me and deny yourself. I want you to serve me, your Christ, to the best of your ability by presenting your body alive to me. I want you to always follow my word, and if you're my disciple, you'll abide in it. I want you to never leave the gathered regiment of my church or never flee from any battle, because as my sheep you hear my voice and follow me. I want you to hold me as your emperor and my well-being as most important to you. I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I want you to be crucified with me and no longer live, but let me live through you. And I want you to live on earth in your bodies by the faith in the Son of God because I loved you and gave myself for you. And I want you to hold Jesus dearer than yourself or your children because Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life 
for my sake will find it. I wonder this morning, have you found life that's endless? Are you still holding on to stuff here? Have you found your time to be most wisely invested in being in fellowship with God? Or are you utterly distracted by all of the passing fancies of this world? The Lord's table is a time when we pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God. Let's bow and ponder these principles with heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear Father, I pray that your spirit would sweep over our souls and that you might prompt and draw us to the self-denial that you lovingly demand from us and give us the grace to offer you. I pray that this morning for the first time for some and again and continuing for others we would give up our flesh that so soon reigns our pride that so soon prompts us our fleshly motivations that so often get in the way and that we will die to ourselves today and renew our pledge of allegiance that we will be crucified with Christ and still live presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. There's no limit to what you can do through this body of your believers in this place if they are all loyal and following you, O Christ. I pray that you would fill our lips with joyous, triumphant, confident offering of ourselves to you at your table this morning. In Jesus' name we ask.